0: Good morning, church. You say, oh my gosh, it's Mike, it's not Mitch. What's going on? Small change in plans. Mitch will be back next week. This week, you've got me. Sorry, if anyone's disappointed. Let me, as uh, so I get myself set up here, um, let me ask you guys a question. Has, have any of you ever had the experience of having your eyes open to something um, that you never knew was there, but had been there all along. You ever have one of those experiences? you never knew it was there, but it 's been there all along, and then you've had your eyes open to it, and it's like, oh. So let me give you an example. Um, when we lived in Brazil, and when the kids were little, uh, we lived in a city, about 120,000 people, so a city just like a city here, lots of lights and stuff like that. So at nighttime You know, you could sit out on your front porch, you could look up at the sky, you could, you know, you might see the moon, a couple of stars here and there, but you weren't going to see much beyond that. And so, you know, my kids kind of grew up with that in the middle of the city. So one particular evening, we were driving home from another city. Now, the city that we lived in was surrounded for, you know, miles and miles and miles on every side by uh, soybean and sugarcane farms, so nothing. Like there was cities and then lots of nothing before you got to the next city, a little bit probably like the Midwest, if you kind of imagine that. And so this particular evening, we're driving home, and it's, it's nighttime, and it's very, very dark, and the sky is very, very clear. And so I decide, as I, I see this little dirt road going off into one of the sugarcane fields, And I said, I'm going to show the kids something that my dad showed me when I was little, that just blew my mind. And so I pulled off, and I drove back into the sugarcane a little bit, and uh, shut the car off got the kids out of the car, and I said, okay, everybody, ready? Look up. Yeah, right? And the, the 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 I didn't get an ah. Oh. Where's an ah? Oh. Ah. Okay, I know the picture doesn't do it justice. I know. But it was just so sweet to listen. Like, they literally took their breath away when they looked at it. They were like, whoa. They had no idea that that had been there all the time because the artificial lights... Of the world around them had drowned out this glorious beautiful reality that existed all along it was right there and the sad thing is, is a lot of us walk through life especially as city dwellers we walk through life not even ever looking up because the artificial light of the world has impeded our ability to see what's there and so we don't even look anymore and if I were to ask you do do you believe that the stars are there even if you can't see them everyone of course would say yeah you know, even though it's difficult or impossible to see them with our physical eyes, we don't doubt their presence. Now, the interesting thing here is that, that as amazing and awe-inspiring as that is, there is a reality, another reality that's very often unseen and is infinitely more amazing, more awe-inspiring than that. And I'm going to explain that here, but let me ask you another question as I get into that. If I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is Lord or King, what would you say? Yes. Okay, and I think, you know, we're, we're in a, a gathering of the church. I think most people would, as Jesus followers, we would all say yes. But what I'm afraid of, because I know this was true of me for a long time, is that we have, many of us anyway, have a limited uh, view of the lordship of jesus we have limited the lordship of jesus or the kingship of jesus to our personal conduct that he's lord of my life he's the one who makes the decisions i make my decisions based on his authority based on his will and we've kind of limited it to to that and even that if we're really honest with ourselves right for many of us that's mostly an intellectual statement that jesus is lord of my life rather than a fact that actually directs every aspect of our lives most of the time. But the reason that we have this limited lordship view of Jesus is that I think, anyway, this is my thesis, that we look out at a world that is clearly an open rebellion against God. And we think to ourselves very clearly, Jesus isn't reigning in this, right? Clearly his kingdom must not be yet. It's a not yet kingdom. It must be at some future date. So I'm just going to hunker down with my my personal Jesus, and I'm going to pray for his return. I've got my ticket punched to heaven, and he might be Lord of my life, but clearly he isn't Lord in any kind of universal sense yet. And what I want to put out to us today is that when we do that, when we make that intellectual argument of ourselves, when we take that viewpoint, we're allowing the artificial lights of the world to block out what our spiritual eyes could otherwise plainly see. We're allowing sort of the smoke and mirrors of rebellion, of false philosophies, of worldly voices to blind us to a reality that's right there. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to take a drive out into the country, so to speak, outside of the city, into the scriptures. And what I want to do is allow God to show us true reality. Now, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite accounts in Scripture takes place in 2 Kings, and it's the story of the king of Aramaia and, and the prophet Elisha. And uh, uh, the king of Aramaia is trying to find the prophet Elisha to kill him, and if you're curious about why he's trying to kill him, I can't really go into it here this morning, but if you want to know why, and it's a super interesting story, you can find this whole account in 2 Kings chapter 6, I encourage you to check that out. But what happens is the king of Aramae, he locates Elisha, he finds out where he is, and he sends his army out at night to surround the city that Elisha is in. And so Elisha's there with his servant, and here's what, here's what occurs. In 2 Kings, you'll find this in chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And it says, When the servant of the man of God got up, he woke up in the morning and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no! My Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I love that story. Because you see, what it tells us is that there is a king and there is a kingdom that the artificial light of the world obscures from our physical eyes. And I know as Christians sometimes, and I see this in the church a lot, we have a much easier time believing in spiritual forces of darkness, right? With spiritual warfare, with, oh, you know, and we're being attacked and, and, and all of that. Is, I'm not saying that that's not true, but it seems like we have a much more difficult time accepting the fact. That that there is a spiritual realm around us in which God's heavenly host is at work with us in the events of the world. And what we do is we cling to this limited lordship vision because of what our physical eyes can see. But I want to put it to you this way. Scripture doesn't teach a purely personal lordship of Jesus anywhere. Anywhere. The scriptures, I'll just repeat it for emphasis, the scriptures do not teach a purely personal lordship of Jesus anywhere. Jesus is never less than our personal Lord, never less than my personal Lord, but he is much, much more than that. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in Revelation 17. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth in Matthew 28. He sits now at the right hand of the Father to reign That's what you find in Hebrews 1. His power is what holds the entire universe together. That's also in Hebrews 1. He is the king of a kingdom that will never be shaken. You could find that in Hebrews 12. So what we have to do as followers of Jesus is we have to consider what the word says because regardless of how we feel in any given moment, regardless of what those outside of Christ might tell us is the reality, or even what we perceive to be the situation in the world around us, God's word trumps all of that. Now, what is a kingdom? How do we rightly understand Jesus' reign? Right? A kingdom, the definition of a kingdom is a realm or a sphere in which one holds a preeminent position, the right and the power to rule and to reign. And so when we look out at the world and we think, oh, but the world's gone haywire, therefore Jesus isn't reigning right now. Well, think about this for a second. Does the fact that someone is reigning mean that there is an absence of rebellion or crime in a kingdom? Right? Does the existence of disobedience, maybe the better way to put it, does the existence of disobedience indicate the absence of authority or power? And any of us here who are parents immediately know, well, okay, that's not true. And yet, that's the the standard that we use to to discern whether or not Jesus rules and reigns today. If we don't believe that Christ's rule and reign can and will be manifest on earth, then we we just pray the Lord's Prayer. Why would we pray that way? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Or why would Jesus teach us? This is probably the better question. Why would Jesus teach us to pray that way? Let me just give you a few examples. In Jesus' words to Peter in Matthew 26, and give you a little background, this is Matthew 26, verse 53. There, the, Jesus is about to be taken uh, captive. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, thinking in a worldly way, is going to draw his sword. He's going to defend his master, right? And Jesus stops him. And Jesus says to Peter, Are you not aware that I can call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, that sounds to me like the confidence of somebody who reigns, right? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus is king and that his kingdom is in our midst? Because Jesus did. Look what he said in Luke 17, 21. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, and this is the important part, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So scripture's clear on our first point. There is a king. His name is Jesus. And, our, and he. this king has authority, all authority, and in heaven and on earth. And then the second point that's very clear in scripture is that that kingdom somehow is in our midst. And we're gonna kind of unpack of how that is. But there's a third piece of the equation that's really important for us to understand. And that is that his kingdom manifests itself through his people so there is a king his name is Jesus he has all power and authority his kingdom is in our midst and his kingdom manifests itself through his people now I've had people tell me before when I've shared on this topic they say well you're you're spiritualizing the kingdom I actually honestly don't know what that that criticism means um, and, and here's what I, what I mean by that. When I say spiritual, when we say spiritual, it doesn't mean emotional. It doesn't mean theoretical. It doesn't mean philosophical. right? Spiritual is just as real as physical. It's a realm. It's a dimension. It has substance. It's real. It's reality. But without spiritual eyes, we can't see it. Now, Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world, but he never said that his kingdom wasn't in the world. In fact, he said the exact opposite of that. Jesus uh, said that the true worshipers, for example, the true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth right here on earth. See, the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God is not less real than the physical. Again, it's not philosophical, it's not theoretical or metaphorical or emotional, And we see this throughout Scripture. God has pulled back the curtain over and over and over again to show us this true reality. He did it, in this case, through Elisha. He does it in the book of Revelation through through John. He does it through King Jesus himself. So then the question for us becomes, if that's true, and it is, not because I've said it's true, but because that's what Scripture says and Jesus says, the question for us is then, okay, so how would truly believing that affect the way that we live in this world? How should we live, how should you and I live in a culture that's in open rebellion against God? And I think we have a few examples from Scripture that we can look at. I'll give you the first one from Jesus himself before Pontius Pilate. In, in, uh, you can find this in John 18. Jesus is being interrogated by Pontius Pilate. And uh, Jesus is not answering any of Pilate's questions. And Pilate begins to get frustrated. And finally, he says to Jesus, don't you understand I have the power of life and death over you. And Jesus finally speaks up and he says, you don't have any power at all except that which has been given to you from above. Jesus was saying to Pilate, look, Pilate, you may be an authority here in this little realm, but there is a king and you're not him. And you move forward and you look at Peter and John and Peter and John get dragged in front of the, the high priests and the rulers, et cetera, in Acts 4 because they healed somebody. And then they're demanding from Peter and John, tell us by what authority and in what name did you do this? And again, Peter and John look at them and they say, if you really must know, it's by the power of Jesus the Nazarene. Again, in this whole interaction that they had, Peter and John were saying, there is a king, there is a higher authority, and you're not him. Go forward even a little bit further uh, in Acts, Acts 26, Paul, the Apostle Paul gets taken before King Agrippa and and is called to give a defense of himself, but rather than give a defense of himself, he launches into a gospel presentation. He mixes his own personal testimony in there, it's a fantastic account if you want to go back and read it. And as he's going along sharing, sharing the gospel with Agrippa, Agrippa finally goes, hey, time out, time out. Paul, have you lost your mind? He literally says that. Have you lost your mind? Do you think in so short a time you're going to convince me to become a follower of this Messiah? And what does Paul say to him? He says, listen, short time or long, I would that everybody would become like me, that everybody would accept Christ. Paul looked at Agrippa fearlessly, and he said, there is a king, and you're not him. You are not him. And we can go on. I mean, we can look at Esther, right? going in before another earthly king, if I die, I die, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before the fiery furnace, our, our God can save us, but if, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you, uh, Daniel before the lions, and all of these cases, there's, they're saying in their actions, there is a greater king, there is a greater kingdom, and you are not him. All of these people were living fearlessly. But they were actually saying more than just there's a king and there's a greater kingdom. They were saying something about themselves in relationship to that king and to his kingdom. And so for a clue, I want to go, we're going to look at Romans 5.17 because I think this is key to understanding what that relationship is. And here's what it says. For if by the trespass of the one man, they're talking about Adam, Right? If by the trespass or the sin of one man, death reigned through that one man. So the human condition of sin began with Adam and has reigned through Adam, sin and death from that time. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let's focus on that last little part, reign. How much more will those who are in Christ reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? That should be mind-blowing to us, right? Jesus is king, he reigns, and because he reigns, so do you, so do I. See, people that recognize the fact that Jesus is king and that he reigns, and because he reigns, so do we, those kinds of people are fearless, They're fearless. And that kind of fearlessness comes from an intimate, abiding, experiential relationship with the King, with the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's where that kind of fearlessness comes from, from believing that Christ reigns, and because he does, so do you. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 9 talking about us, talking about the church, says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let's stop there for a second. That's, first of all, talk about affirmations. That should be like a morning affirmation, right? We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. But there is a reason that we are those things, and it's not for our own aggrandizement, the second part of the verse is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, into his wonderful light. So our purpose is empowered by the king, and our purpose is to proclaim him, to proclaim his ex- excellencies. The, the, the sad thing is, just like the stars, or just like the, the, the stars are drowned out by the artificial lights of the city. There is a reality that our physical eyes are incapable of seeing without a spiritual sense. And so I, 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 wanna, I ask myself this question. I'll ask you this question. Do you live in the reality of Jesus? Do you live in the reality of his rule and his reign in and through you and in and through his church? Living consciously as a citizen of heaven, living consciously as a child of God, that kind of living should produce, will produce sort of what i call an otherworldly confidence or fearlessness. And that's not, it's not arrogance, it's not bluster, but it's a calm, joyful, humble, Christ-centered confidence. And you might say, well, yeah, but Christians still are, you know, have fear. Yes, they do, and so do I. I'm sure all of you do fear certain things, but just because we do fear doesn't mean that we have to fear. Or that we should fear. And I'll give you an example. The words of Jesus, Jesus talks about fear in Matthew 10, verses uh, 26 through 31. And I'll read that to you here this morning. 26, okay. He starts off So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And here he goes again. Fear not, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Fear not. Fear not. Godly fearlessness isn't actually the complete absence of fear, but it's fearing the right things. Right? Fearing God rather than fearing man. I think our fear is a great revealer of our faith, of our true faith. So we should ask ourselves, what, are, what, are, what am I afraid of? What are you afraid of? And, and don't think that this is self-confidence either, because self-confidence is a, is, a, is a cheap knockoff. What we're talking about here is God confidence. It's a fearlessness to accomplish the work that we've been called to, a work that was prepared beforehand by God for us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared, not ones that we've dreamed up, thought up, decided that you know, we want to invite God into. God confidence is to carry out his purposes. We are his people for his purpose. Our confidence is in him who called us in to light. And I think that's an important distinction because uh, our confidence needs to be in him and for him. Now, let me give you an idea. So maybe try to picture this. Again, while we were living in Brazil, um, I was the only American in our town. So it was a little bit of celebrity that goes along with that. And so I got to know the mayor at the time, and uh, we lived in Brazil during his entire, both of his, his two terms as mayor. And so he and I got really close and I could walk into his office anytime I wanted in my flip-flops and my board shorts and just sit down at the cabinet room and have a chat. He'd invite me in on meetings with all kinds of people from around the country. And so it was a super great relationship. And I always made a point never to ask him for anything. Throughout our whole relationship, I never asked him for anything because I didn't want him to think that I was using our relationship for, for an end. I just wanted to be his friend. And one day, we had a uh, towards the end of our time in Brazil, we had a, a mission team that was going to be coming down to help us to build a playground. These big playgrounds, have you ever see these playgrounds that are made out of like giant posts of wood, like big wooden playgrounds? Yeah, okay. So we were building one of those. This requires a lot of wood, like, and most of it down there is going to be eucalyptus. So I had everything set up. I had. Uh, arranged for a guy to, to, you know, that we would buy the wood from, and he was going to send the wood, and I had some heavy machinery that we needed, and I had transportation to pick up this mission team that was coming from Virginia down there to help us build. Everything was all set. And about two weeks before, I called a check on the wood. Oh, you needed that wood for, for now? Oh, yeah, there's no way. Like, we haven't even cut it down yet. Like, no, that's, that's impossible. I'm sorry, we can't do that. What? Okay. Uh, then the transportation. Oof, gone. The bus that we had arranged—oh, the bus broke down. It's the only one we have. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. And then I lost the heavy equipment too. So now we're down to nothing. But the team's still coming, right? They already have their plane tickets purchased. They're on their way. I'm like, now what am I going to do? So finally, I'm like, I, I gotta go. Ezu was his name, the mayor. So I said, I'm going to go talk to Ezu. So I—I I went in and I sat down with Ezu, and he's like, "Something's going on. What's going on?" I'm like, "Listen, let me t- let me tell you the story." And I shared the whole thing with him. And he says, hang on a second, and he calls his secretary in. He says, come in here, sit down, bring something to write with, sit down here. And he's like, okay, Mike, tell me what you need. And so I went through, here's, I need this, I need this, I need this. And he's telling his secretary, okay, I need you to write a letter. I need you to write a letter to the, uh, you know, to the, the guy that, the secretary that's in charge of all the heavy equipment. I need you to write a letter to the secretary that's in charge of the, the city had a forest. It's very like Old Testament. They had their own forest for, that they could harvest stuff from. He says, I need you to send a, you know, something to the secretary of agriculture so he can arrange for the wood. And I need you to get something to the secretary of transportation because I need them to get a bus. And so she goes off, and he says, we're just going to sit here and have coffee and wait for you to get back with the letters. And so two of us sat there and had coffee and chit-chat, and it was wonderful. And she comes back a little bit later with these three letters. He signs them, stamps, puts his stamp on them, hands them to me, and he says, if anyone gives you any trouble, you let me know. Now, think about this for a second, guys. When I walked into the Secretary of Transportation's office, I wasn't walking in with my hat in my hand going, hey, do you think you could do? Now, I wasn't being cocky or arrogant, but man, I walked in there. The answer, I knew the answer was yes. I am coming on behalf of the king, so to speak, right? The mayor and his word goes. Now, guys, we have, we have the letters from the king. Amen. We should have that kind of confidence as we walk through life. That there is a king, and that king has a name, and it's Jesus. And because he reigns, so do we. And we don't need to fear. We can walk with confidence because we have the letters from the king. So what does it mean to live as a fearless child of the king? What does it look like to say with your life to those around you, there is a king, and you're not him. There is a kingdom, and it's here now, and it's growing. How do we do that? As a child of God, how do we say, I reign with Christ? What does that look like in my life? What does it look like when I don't allow sort of the artificial lights of the world to blur my spiritual vision? Well, for one, it means that you can love without fear and without expectation of anything in return. It looks like inviting others to come and meet the Savior that you've met without fear. It means laying down your life for other people in small ways and big ways without fear it means raising your kids in your home without fear loving your spouse without fear it means that you can obey Christ and what you find for the commandments of Jesus you can obey Christ from your heart without fear of failure it means you can stand firm in God's will even if it means being marginalized or being persecuted or laughed at it means that if you believe from your heart that the kingdoms, as it says in Revelation 11:15, that the kingdoms of this world have become and are becoming the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. Right? And that your calling, my calling as a priest in that kingdom and as a child of the king, is to introduce as many people as possible to the real king and his kingdom that's in their midst, and then to help teach them how to live in that kingdom. That's our role. That's what we need to be all about. We have not been given a spirit of fear, right? We've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And we should walk in that spirit. And this theology of, the, of a king and a kingdom isn't, isn't dramatic, I mean, it can be dramatic, but it's not always dramatic. Most of the time, it's lived out in the mundane, day to day interactions that you have with your spouse and with your children, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your hairdresser, right? It's asking a classmate or a coworker or a neighbor how you can pray for them. It's sharing your story with someone. It's paying attention to the people that are around you and looking for ways that you can serve them, that you can love them in the name of the King. You know, it can be something as simple as being bold enough to read your Bible during your break at work or your break from school, giving thanks at a meal out in a restaurant and asking your waiter or waitress how you can pray for them. It's little things, little ways that we proclaim the truth that there is a king and that he reigns over a kingdom in our midst and that you and I, we serve that king. That's the true reality that God has called us into that's the reality that i want us to see and not let the artificial lights of the world blind our spiritual eyes i know it can be discouraging when you look at the world when you read the news don't read the news so much <laughs> there you go if you want that's a good application for day read the news less but it can be discouraging so as we kind of round the turn here and close i, I want to read a, a quote from a pastor that i uh, of the late pastor Eugene Peterson somebody that i admired a lot of his writing and here's what he says. He says, We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not man. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking in its garbage cans for bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light. Toward God who is rich in mercy and strong to save so I would encourage us take one small step this week I'm going to give you a suggestion I've got one of these you're invited cards and these you can find at our welcome desk out here be like Andrew Simon Peter's brother who said come and see come and see I think we found the Messiah invite somebody around you to come and see what you found you know the world is looking for something the world is looking and always has been looking for utopia the perfect kingdom right and we see attempts in government and social movements but it's all moving towards that they want the world has eternity written on their hearts not just an eternity of of everlasting life in the future but the, the world is not right and it needs to be set right we all have that written in our hearts the problem is that the world outside they want the garden without the creator of the garden they want the perfect kingdom without the king so our role is to introduce them to the king and to his kingdom and there's only one way into that kingdom and if you're here this morning and you're thinking I don't even know if I would call myself a follower of Jesus you need to understand that he is the only way He is the only way into this kingdom. He has given us eternal life, the scriptures say, and that life is in Jesus' son. If you have the son of God by faith, you have that life and you reign with him in that life. If you do not have the son of God, you do not have the life and you remain separated from God by your sin. It's as simple as that and as stunning as that. And so if, if that's you this morning, I would say, come to Christ. Give your life to him. Enter into his kingdom. I want to take a moment here, and then we're going to close uh, with a, just kind of responding to God, our king in worship. But I want to take a moment here to, to meditate and pray over these truths, these great truths of scripture together. don't you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, even when the artificial lights of the world dim our view of reality, we thank you that we have the word of Christ to stand on. Help us to look up, Father. Open our eyes that we might see your reality. There is a king there is a kingdom there is a king and his name is Jesus and we thank you for him we thank you that he reigns at your right hand we thank you that he saves that he redeems we thank you that we've been adopted into your family and because of that God we reign with Christ help us father to have that confidence as we walk through this life this week as we serve you as we serve Christ by loving and serving others we ask this